For some of you that are visiting today or you, you haven't seen me leave, right after my message, I'll be going to our network church, Renfrew Baptist Church. Uh, and we are two congregations, one here in Airdrie, one in Calgary, that care about the same thing, that go, how do we do things together better? One of those ways is on Tuesday, we are going to celebrate Shrove Tuesday, Pancake Tuesday. You might go, why do we have pancakes on a Tuesday in February? It's the beginning of Lent. And the really cool thing with the beginning of, of, of Lent is, if we went historical, back then, everybody got rid of everything in their house, and the easiest thing to make was pancakes. And for us, uh, as, as Christ followers today, it's, we're walking into a season where we're going to be focused on, on who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, our, our sermon series after this one uh, is going to be all about... What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus to the cross? Uh, and we're excited about it. We're going to spend a lot of time kind of in this like Matthew 3 to Matthew 8. Um, and so we're excited. In the middle of it, we're going to have another network event where we're going to invite you to, to Renfrew on a Wednesday. It's going to be a journey to the cross experience. We'll have child care and things for the kids. Uh, and then a Good Friday, we're going to do it together as a network church at Renfrew, and we're just going to celebrate what God's doing in this season. It's an exciting season. 47 days after Pancake Tuesday uh, is the whole reason why we gather. Uh, this is an exciting week for me uh, and my family. Uh, McCully, my youngest daughter, is getting married on Saturday. Now, now with that, Matt, who was a great organizer, I'm teaching in Camrose this week at uh, CLBI, so either I timed it right or I timed it very poorly. So we'll see on Friday how I did, uh, but you can pray for our family. Lots of families coming in. Michelle's uh, brother and sister, uh, she has seven of them, but two of them are coming today with their families. A bunch are coming tomorrow. A bunch of my family from Ontario is coming. So it'll be a, it'll be a, maybe they'll be sleeping in sleeping bags here at daybreak. I don't know yet, but we'll see. Um, or I will be. If you find me sleeping in a sleeping bag. Uh, I, I've loved this journey that we've been on. So we've been talking about one another's. Basically, since the new year, we've been talking about one another's. And in scripture, there's about 33 of them bear with one another, carry one another's burdens. There's one we're not talking about, which is greet one another with a holy kiss. We're not doing that. But we've looked at things that, that Jesus and really Paul is telling us that's really important. And so today we finish it off, this series, with be kind and forgive one another. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to flip to Ephesians 4. If you don't, it's okay. It'll show on the screen. But if you opened up your Bible, some of your Bibles would say this heading in Ephesians 4. Instructions for Christian living. Oh, verse 18 is that, is that heading. So we find ourselves today in the middle of Ephesians. Paul transitioned his letter from chapters 1 through 3 from understanding and gaining knowledge of, of who Jesus is and what the gospel is 
to suddenly in chapter 4, he's changing it, and Ephesians 4 through 6 is going to talk about how do we actually live this relationship with Jesus? What does it actually look like? So if you ever want to read a great book, Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about, okay, here's how to do it, here's what it means, and then Paul transitions to, and this is what it looks like in real life, okay? Paul begins with therefore. Remember we said last week, the week before, there's always a reason that it's therefore. He goes in Ephesians 4, if you looked at verse 2 and 3, he says, walk in humility and gentleness, patience, bear with one another, love one another, live in unity with God and the Holy Spirit, uh, aim for peace. And so as Christians, as Christ followers, one of the key pieces for us is to be peacemakers in this world that doesn't necessarily operate with peace. Now, in Ephesians 4, verse 17, we're going to read about 15 verses. I'm going to just talk about two, but I want you to get the background of what Paul's saying. So look at verse 17. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in their futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You might go, man, that sounds a lot like today. Having lost all sensitivity or feeling, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They're full of greed. Remember what Paul's doing here. He's going, here's how Jesus calls us to live and here's how we need to start to live. Look at verse 20. That, however, is not the way that you learned, the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Your mind should tweak a little bit with that statement. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Then Paul turns the corner and goes, Therefore, each of you must put a falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. We're all in this together. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Usually that comes out in somebody's argument, like, okay, we can't be angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing, steal no longer, but must work, do something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. You see this huge list that Paul's going, this is how we live. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then verse 31 and 32, what we're going to spend our time on. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of of rage. Get rid of anger, of brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That's the negative. Here's the positive. Verse 32 Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. See, verse 31 is this like hinge verse. 
Paul is still warning in the earlier verses about the sins of the tongue. What Paul's trying to show us here is get rid of or don't speak with bitterness. It's always better to forgive. There's the negative, bitterness. The positive is forgiveness. Look back at verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. Get rid of every form of malice. See, the the very first thing that you and I need to get rid of in our life is bitterness. See, what happens with bitterness is over time we fixate on the hurts. We replay them over and over in our minds. We might even examine every word and tend to give that, that word more meaning than what it really had to start with. See, bitterness always feeds itself and leads us to see hurts and grievances everywhere, even when they really don't exist. So Paul here is looking at Christians saying, get rid of rage and anger. Those two words are always related, rage and anger. Some have suggested that, that it actually is the equal sign after bitterness, like rage plus anger always equals bitterness. The, the word for rage and angry is, as, is also translated by the words such as passion and fury. Rage is that intense kind of anger that's always dangerous. This is what happens when people lose their temper. We know those kind of people. We might be even ourselves those kind of people. We're dangerous. We do great damage to others when we're in that state of rage and anger. You and I need to take steps to never be that person that loses control. See, the word anger is a little bit different than rage. Maybe anger is a more settled state. Maybe when we're angry, we pick at everything because we view everything from a negative perspective. An angry person can quickly turn to a person of rage. Anger is the attitude that lingers. Then Paul throws these crazy words in, brawling and slander, and we almost take ourselves back to junior high. Like, remember that brawl out on the playground at at lunch? But it seems to be what Paul's saying here is the verbal results of bitterness, rage, and anger. Brawling is loud. You see this when people are shouting at each other in anger. Probably has happened to some of us or most of us at one time or another. Here's the thing with brawling that Paul wants us to understand is it's always unproductive. Nothing ever gets solved when no one's listening. Brawling is often accompanied by crying and intense emotion. In these times, our words are usually sharpened and meant to wound. The goal of a person who's a brawler is not to reach a point of understanding. It's never to get to a place of cooperation. The goal is always to win or intimidate or worse off, punish. But Christians are called to pursue peace. You see, slander, where Paul's going, and it seems to be a progression the way that Paul's writing, slander is always more devious. It's repeating things that are designed to make someone look bad or destroy a reputation. 
Slander always operates in half-truths, exaggerations, or distortion. The word for slander, and you're going to appreciate this, is, is actually the word blasphemy. We generally think of blasphemy as something or someone who slanders, misrepresents, or dishonors the character of God. They blaspheme against God. But Paul is giving this word even a deeper usage. When we slander each other, when we diminish another person, we are actually slandering the Lord who made that person. God takes it personally. What Paul's trying to say is Paul, God takes it personally when we slander others. And then Paul throws this in at the end, every form of malice. This is like Paul going, okay, just in case I miss something, I don't want there to be a loophole. Any behavior that destroys relationships or diminishes another person needs to be eliminated from our lives. These behaviors that Paul's talking about are selfish. They're inconsistent. And when we live this way, we grieve the Holy Spirit. On the screen behind me, A.W. Tozer said this. We've all noticed how quick many people are to excuse themselves for some outburst by pleading that they were provoked to it. Thus, their own wrongdoing is laid to others. See, how we respond to each other, especially in times of conflict and tension, reveals more about our hearts than we may be ready to see. All of these things are serious roadblocks to fellowship, to unity, to love in the church. All of these indications of bitterness, malice, and hatred are toward others. We're always called to build up and never tear down. These statements that Paul's making, we'll go to Bible school for a minute, are imperative in the Greek, which means it's not optional. It's a command. Now look at verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul uses three phrases to describe forgiveness. He first says, be kind and be kind to one another. The, the word that Paul's actually using, and we're in Bible school right now, is Christo. And here's what Christo means. In the Greek, the word for Christ is Christos. So Christians that Paul was writing to from the very beginning saw that it was very appropriate. What Paul was saying was to be kind. Christos, to others, is to treat others as Christ would treat them. This is the same word that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13.4 when he said this, love is patient, love is kind. It's Christ's kind of love. It doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. It's the same word that Paul actually wrote when he wrote the book of Romans in Romans 2.4 where he said, or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, his kindness, God's forbearance, God's patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is intended to lead you to change, to repentance? We know kindness is one of the fruits of the spirits. Kindness is actually a key marker in our relationship with Jesus. 
Sometimes you and I only want to be kind to those who are kind to us. This is the same kind of phraseology that, that Jesus used in Luke, 30, Luke 6, 35, where he said, love your enemies, do good to them, be kind to your enemies, and lend to your enemies without expecting to get anything back. If you do that, your reward will be great. You will be children of the Most High because God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. See, we're not called to simply be kind to those we like. We're supposed to be kind to our enemies, even toward those we don't like. Flame fans. Okay, that wasn't in my notes. That wasn't in my notes. Paul wants his readers here to have concern and consideration for others, to actually look out and care about the needs of others. Do you see that next word in 32? Forgiveness. There are two kinds, there's two words in the Bible that are translated for forgiveness. The first, I'm not even going to try to say it, it's on the screen behind you. That first kind of forgiveness is, is a conditional type of forgiveness. This conditional type of forgiveness actually requires various steps and actions. It, it might be better translated as, I release you. Instead of, I forgive you, I release you from this. The, the second type of forgiveness, you're going to see it on the screen, is this. It comes from the root word of cheris, which is the same word for grace. And so that word means to deal graciously with someone, to give freely. That second type of forgiveness, not the release part, that second type of forgiveness is freely offered by God to all people for their sins, whether they're past, present, and future. There's no conditions for this kind of forgiveness. This kind of forgiveness could be defined as graciously overlooking or letting go of that offense. So what type of forgiveness in Ephesians 4 is Paul referring to? It's that second type of forgiveness. This type of forgiveness doesn't just come from God. As Paul indicates here, we're to extend this free, unconditional forgiveness towards others as well. Why? Because it's important for the unity and love in the family of God. We are told in in 2 Corinthians, so Paul, as he wrote to the church in Corinth, said this, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I've been forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of the Lord of, of Christ for your sake. And then look at this in verse 11, in order that Satan might not outwit us. Translated, might not win. For we are always not aware of his schemes. See, what Paul's trying to say is the opposite of forgiveness is always resentment and animosity. True forgiveness is not saying this, well, I forgive them if they say they're sorry first. What Paul's saying here is we take the first step because God did the first step for us. There's no strings attached. There's no conditions. There's no requirements. We are to forgive the other person even if they never ask for it. 
even if they keep sinning against us, even if they never change their behavior or recognize what they're doing is wrong. Paul commands us at the end of Ephesians chapter 4 to completely and freely forgive one another. Rather than verse 31, having malice, anger, bitterness toward others, we're called to forgive them. So that's the command that Paul gives us. What's the motivation? You should forgive because God forgave you. Did you catch that at the end of 32? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. I'm not going to push this on you, but I'll say it about myself. I'm an expert at judging others. But I'm blind when it comes to judging myself. Notice that it doesn't say this. It doesn't say God forgave you. What it does say is, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It actually isn't saying that God doesn't forgive at all. Instead, he gets paid off. Now stay with me for a second. This is going to get deep, but I, you're going to appreciate this. If you had a car loan or a house mortgage, and you send in your final payment to the bank, are they going to send you a letter which says, congratulations, we've just forgiven your loan? No. They didn't forgive your loan. They got paid for your loan. (laughs) Once the debt is paid off, forgiveness is no longer an option. So you see, forgiveness and the payment of a debt are mutually exclusive. One can either forgive a debt or be paid for a debt. You can't do both. It's the same with God. God can either forgive us of our sins or he can be paid off for the debt of our sins. He can't do both. He freely forgives us our sins. He doesn't get paid off by the death of Jesus. The blood of Jesus doesn't buy forgiveness of sins from God because forgiveness of a debt, by definition, can't be bought. So when Paul writes that God forgave us in Christ, what does he mean? What does he mean? He means this, that in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, we were shown how God freely forgives us all of our sins. How do we see this? Jesus came as the incarnate Son of God. What that means is he was God in flesh. He did no wrong. He committed no sins. He lived a perfect life and did not think that he deserved punishment or death. But we took him, condemned him, and killed him anyways. We murdered God. But on the cross, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they did. In this way, Jesus revealed what God has always been doing. Just as Jesus freely forgave us on the cross, so also God has always been freely forgiving us from heaven. Since Jesus perfectly reflects God to us, and since Jesus freely forgives us when we're committing the worst sin possible, we know that God freely forgives us of our sins as well. Jesus, uh, sorry, God forgives all the sins of all people. That's how vast and great the forgiveness of God is. Forgiveness is unlimited. But sometimes, forgiveness comes around to haunt us. It seems like those that you and I forgive 
seem to take advantage of us. The person keeps failing and we keep forgiving. Some people have a forgiveness limit. They say things like, well, okay, I'll forgive you this once, but don't do it again. Reminded me of a story. Two little boys named Charles and James got into a fight. Charles ended up hitting James on the head with a stick. And when their mom came to sort it all out, she told Charles to apologize to James and told James to forgive Charles. Charles apologized and asked for forgiveness, but James said, Oh, all right, I'll forgive you tonight, but you better watch out in the morning. That's the kind of forgiveness some of us have. I'll forgive you this once, but you better watch out. Some people might even have a three strikes and you're out mentality. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were that kind of people. They taught if a person kept sinning against you or failing you, you only had to forgive them three times. Do you remember the question Peter asked Jesus? He thought he was going to be super spiritual, so he took those three times that the Pharisees taught and he multiplied it by two. And then he added one for good measure. He got to seven. He went to Christ and said, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, 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 not seven, but 70 times seven. Now, some people might multiply that out and say, okay, so I only have to forgive them 490 times, but that's not the point that Jesus was making. He was saying, let your forgiveness be unlimited. Counting how many times you forgive someone is not genuine forgiveness. But here, friends, and hear this, forgiveness is not forgetting. In church, you might have even heard someone say, forgive and forget. Here's what David penned in Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed the transgressions from us. Hebrews 10, verse 17, it says, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember, remember no more. Though we may forgive and be forgiven, there are still consequences and results of sin. Sin has consequences even though it has been forgiven. Forgiveness does not include enabling the sin to continue. We all have character flaws. And the purpose of forgiveness is to help us work to improve our character in an atmosphere of love and kindness. Not just to enable us to continue in our sinful habits. You see, there's consequences to sin. And forgiveness of sin doesn't always mean removal of consequences. The balance is this, that true forgiveness doesn't forget in the sense that it doesn't always drag up from the past to throw it in someone's face. This is the key to being a forgiving person. Now for some of us, your wounds might be deeper. In this case, forgiveness does not mean to pretend that it didn't happen. It's not about ignoring a wrong. Forgiveness sees the wrong, recognizes the hurt or the injustice, and then chooses to extend grace rather than to exact retribution. We have all kinds of reasons why we think we should not, cannot, will not forgive. 
Most of the reasons that we can come up with in our mind boil down to just two. The depth of the hurt and the feeling that forgiving means that justice will be ignored. The Bible nowhere minimizes our hurt. God does not make light of our sorrows. However, we have to keep them in perspective. You and I need to remember that we've been forgiven by God. The issue of justice, there's a feeling that if we truly forgive someone, that the other person is going to get away with the wrong they've done. They'll likely do it again. We feel that wrong demands some kind of payment. Yet again, we must ask ourselves if we're willing for that same standard to be applied to us. What Paul's getting at in the end of Ephesians chapter 4 is this. Was not the crucifixion of Christ a sufficient punishment for sin? Was not the wrath that he endured in our place sufficient to pay for the sin of those who have offended us? Remember what God said. Vengeance is mine. God knows all the facts. God is the only one who knows the actions, the motives, the circumstances of every situation. My viewpoint is always distorted. If more punishment is needed, the Lord is going to be the one to hand it out, not you and me. Forgiveness doesn't throw the past in people's faces. It means letting go of the offense, not carrying around a judge. Uh, sorry, not carrying around a grudge but also learning from the mistakes so that you don't enable a person to sin further in the future. As long as we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts toward others, you and I are going to live in bitterness. Then we'll move to malice. It's going to hurt and harm us more than it hurts and harms anyone else. Well, this brings us back to full circle of what Paul was writing in Ephesians chapter 4. It's all about love. It's all about unity in the church. And if we live with anger and wrath and malice and bitterness toward others, the church will never be a safe place. See, the church needs to be a place of freedom and unity that Jesus wants and desires for us. And one of those ways is to freely forgive others. See, kindness is goodness of heart. It's acting toward another person with consideration. The kind person acts in the best interest of the other person. The Bible told us that love is kind. Kindness begins with opening the door for someone. It's being considerate of the needs of others. It's seeing other people around us. It means lowering your voice when someone's sleeping. It means cleaning up the mess that you may have made. It means giving someone the benefit of the doubt rather than assuming the worst. It means spotlighting someone's strength rather than their weaknesses. It means refusing to be a part of hurtful gossip. It means letting someone else have the spotlight. In other words, it's letting someone have their moment without feeling that you have to trump them. It's letting someone else tell their story without feeling the need to jump in and correct them. Sometimes being kind is simply listening. Being kind is being compassionate. The compassionate person is the one who learns to put themselves in the shoes of another. We appreciate it deeply when someone takes the time to truly understand us. 
At times, we all feel unseen. We all conclude that we don't really matter. Being a kind person conveys to someone else they do matter. Well, before I leave, let me give you a few suggestions on how we can actually let go of bitterness and be kind. The very first one, be honest with God. You may be able to fool yourself, you may be able to fool others, but you aren't fooling the Lord. God hears your angry thoughts. Confess your hurt. Consider God's grace that has been extended to you. Think about what you and I deserve and what you've been given. Pray for the person that's hurt you. At first, you'll be tempted to pray a prayer that I've prayed many times. Go get him, God. That's not the prayer he desires. Pray that God would open their eyes to his love and mercy and grace. And then decide to forgive. You may need to do this every time you think about the offense and every time that you begin to churn. You may need to do this for a long time, but don't give up. Decide to forgive until it doesn't impact you anymore. And then act in a forgiving way. This doesn't mean you have to hang out together. (laughs) Remind yourself that this is less about them and more about you. What kind of person do you want to be? Are you willing to be God's agent of reconciliation even to those who have hurt you? And remember that the grace of God has been extended to you. Give thanks. Gain perspective. Pass on kindness to others. Let's pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you use me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. Lord, we love you as we walk into worship now. May it be a time where we truly reflect who you are. God, we're going to worship you not through song. We're going to worship you by taking communion. I don't think there's a better way to put a bow on, be kind and compassionate to one another than to take communion. Be with Pastor Glenn as he leads us in communion. We ask this in your name. Amen.